podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber, and this show is part of the 99.94 Network. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience via Spotify Live. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Aditya says, what do you make of Cricket South Africa's decision to give preference to its T20 league over the ODI series in Australia? Uh, One of the reasons given by Cricket South Africa is is that it wants to become self-sustainable and not dependent on hosting India for other revenues. Does this reason stand also would eventually make white ball cricket redundant uh, well, bilateral white ball cricket redundant? Yeah, I think if, if you're thinking about it, there's absolutely no reason for any team out there in the world to continue to hope India's going to travel to them every four years. doesn't make any sense. I, I said when, when England and New Zealand pulled out of Pakistan, if I was running Pakistan cricket, I'd just make the PSL better. i put a lot more resources into it i'd make it longer uh, i'd make it out you know if i was the pcb their fi- you know major financial thing uh, i think cricket south africa makes sense um as far as one day cricket and t20 cricket go internationally i've said for a long time that bilaterally i don't think it makes that much sense anymore it, it costs if you think about it from a test cricket perspective a two test series is 10 days of cricket it can be played in what two weeks, 10 uh, limited overs games, even, you know, eight limited overs games. It's probably going to take you three weeks and you're going to have to have similar amounts of money being spent on the preparation. I think people think that test cricket doesn't make sense financially, but the bilateral series probably make the least sense financially. It's just that for a very long time, they were watched so heavily, especially ODIs, that it, it made more sense. That's not the case anymore. The audiences have already worked that out. And I was writing about this in 2007 and 2008, that one day cricket was the most likely to die bilaterally. The thing that's kept it alive so far really has been the fact that TV companies like to put so many ads into it. But as the revenue goes down in those ads, it's not as profitable anyway. So I can certainly see why South Africa are doing what they're doing. I think a lot of teams will start to do that. If you can make a profitable league at home, that you control and you don't need you don't need to worry about hurting the feelings of Australia or India or England you know keeping everyone on board and being you know politically um uh, neutral that's a much better way of doing it that's why the big bash exists i suppose at a certain le- level it's probably why you know England put so much into the 100 as well people don't want to be dependent on this stupid system this bilateral system which is doesn't really make a lot of sense also no one's ever made any the proper money out of the bilateral system. That's, that's the problem with South Africa is it's not that their games are not worth money. It's just that they're not sold as part of a ho- whole package. And so broadcasters just pick them off as cheap cheap fruit. Is cheap fruit the right way of putting it? Expensive fruit. Jake says, interest permitting, how do you think Joffre Archer would get on and Stokes McCullum test team? Well, I mean, he'd go pretty well in any test team, uh, injuries permitting. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, they've been talking about bowling their bowlers into the ground. He's probably the one that you don't want to bowl into the ground, although Mark Wood maybe is another one. So they might have to change the way that they think about that. But he certainly fits the attacking mindset. 
Um, I've always thought that the reason that Joffre Archer could be one of the best bowlers in the world is very similar to why Jasper Boomer is one of the best bowlers in the world. It's that ability to hurt people by bowling very, very fast, but also to slow down a little bit and still be able to use the conditions in your favour. And I think Joffre probably does that even better than Boomer does. The second part. The first part, I think, uh, Boomer is probably the, the better uh, the better one, and he probably has more of an in-the-middle game, if that makes sense. But we've seen Joffre bolt 95 miles an hour and scare the hell out of people, and we've seen him bowl at 80 miles an hour and move the ball um, both directions. That ability is is next level. And I, when he left, I don't think he was a big bowler of the wobble ball. My guess is that he's probably been working on that. There's no England bowler who's not going to bowl it in the future. They're so, you know... Um, uh, obsessed by it so uh, I can't see any reason why Joffre Archer wouldn't make a big big impact uh, when it comes to the England team in this new setup James asked do you know if Australia still does nerds versus Julio's oh so this is good uh, so nerds versus Julio's was basically a way uh, or Julio's I suppose uh, was basically a way back in the day of the cool guys pretending they were cool and the nerdy guys pretending that they were too smart to hang around with the idiots incredibly weird concept he, and he's put together 11s here he's got langer hayden ponting steve i'm assuming that steve smith would be in the nerds steve war border gilchrist stark lyon gillespie mcgrath and in the in, and in the julios it's slater warner kawaja interesting to see where kawaja fits in there i think he might be a nerd mark war uh, michael clark Damian martin matthew wade pat cummins mitchell johnson warn and lee so if i've got that team got Stark, Lyon, Gillespie, McGrath, and I have Cummins, Johnson, Warren, and Lee. So I'll pick the nerds. You got the better bowling attack. Uh, but, but yeah, the whole thing, they don't, they don't do it anymore. I mean, there's always like, they just sort of change the, the way that they talk about themselves. Obviously, you know, what's Adam Zampa is part of the, whatever it is, the loose unit team with him and Stoinis. So there's always that kind of thing within that well, Australian masculine culture. <laughs> it's not really a cricket thing. Um, so, I do find that um, quite interesting, but I don't think, I don't even think they would know what a Julio would be in, in modern cricket. Uh, Neil Davies says, so Benny Howe finally makes a Lions appearance. No question, just any excuse to get you onto one of your favourite topics. Yes. Uh, no, look, it's extraordinary that it's taken this long because if all the people who said Benny Howe won't translate at the top level are right, then why did it take them this long to check? If all the people who said it, that he will translate at this top level are right, then again, why is it taking them this long to check? It's a bit like the Matt Parkinson thing of, oh, he's too slow. At a certain point, you have to just bowl him a few times and see if that is the case. You can't just say he's too slow and never bowl him when he has the best figures consistently. So I think it's great that Benny Howell is getting a go. I do wonder if the wear and tear of all the rotations has made a mark on his bowling and he's not quite as dynamic as he used to be. You know, just watching him of recent times. But, you know, you look at his record. It, one, one of the things that they, they often said was what he does only works at the sort of out-groundy county grounds or the smaller county grounds where the pitches aren't as good. I've done the maths. His record on the test quality wickets is really good. And the reason is because he gets a lot of wicket caught at long off and long on. And so if you have bigger grounds, that actually helps him. Um, I don't see where he fits into England's team unless Adil Rashid isn't playing. Other than that, maybe Moeen Ali is the other one. But other than that, I'm not sure there's a natural fit for him within the English team. But I'm very excited to see if they can. And um, 
I think if he does play in the IPL, obviously he's played in 100, a little bit in the Big Bash, maybe plays in some other league. Nothing else. I'm hoping he inspires a bunch of other people to experiment with their bowling in the same way that he has. Uh, Christopher Hart says, what should the future of ODI and List A cricket be? ODI, I think, is easy. You save it for World Cups, Champions Trophies if you want, if you're in the mood. List A is really confusing. I like the way that Cricket Australia play it in that one big block in one section. I think it's a good way to start a summer. People are always going to know how to play one-day cricket. Like, for instance, Nicholas Piran was in, in mine and Sid Monger's team of the World Cup. And even if you say, wow, maybe we were pushing him a little bit, he's still probably at that World Cup in the best 15 players. He hasn't played any one-day cricket. <laughs> he still has the ability to play that format, even if it's probably, it's probably hard for him to, to develop it in the same way. But as long as players are still playing it, I don't think there should be any problem with the World Cup. Um, plus, you would play friendlies coming in. We already see now there aren't that many T20s played in general until there's a World Cup coming up and suddenly everyone's playing a T20 international, aren't they, coming in. One day cricket, you could have a very similar system, uh, which I, I really like. Ian says, the double century series on Aubrey Fork, that was brilliant and ultimately tragic. Thank you. And sadly, yes. Uh, and he's also bringing up the Basil D'Oliveira double century, which I did last season or season before. So in, in Faulkner's case, he lost uh, his career kind of because of the war. And obviously Basil D'Oliveira um, didn't really start playing cricket until he was conservative, say, his mid-30s. It's probably later than that. Um, and so Faulkner ends up playing 25 tests and Basil D'Oliveira ends up playing 44. How much better could both of them have been um, if they played through their prime years and ultimately who missed out more? So it's a really, really good question. I think also with Aubrey Faulkner, he didn't just miss out on his prime years. He also missed out on the fact that people were still working out leg spin when he was light years ahead of everyone else. And he, so, so he probably, so he probably missed out on the, you know, 10 years of being able to dominate as people were trying to catch up and, you know, ultimately detect his wrongen in a time when not that many people pulled a wrongen at all. Um, which would have been really tough. So he, I think he probably, it probably the war probably had a bigger impact on on that part of it. But if Basil D'Oliveira was as good as he was, and his test record's still fantastic considering he never got proper training in South Africa. He played a lot of really shit, not really shit, that's unfair. League cricket in England was really good, but, you know, cricket that he was way too good for in England. So he played cricket he was way too good for in South Africa. He played cricket he was way too good for in England. And then suddenly becomes a test player very quickly after that. And we also know that he's in his mid-30s. What does Basil D'Oliveira do going through a major, you know, a proper coaching culture and, you know, playing it against better players and all those sort, all the advantages, even being a professional before he was, what, 35, all those sort of things, what would they have done for him? So I think it's probably a, bit, a bigger impact on him. But having said that, Aubrey Faulkner only played 25 tests, was probably just coming into his prime as a batter when World War II started, sorry, World War I started, and was also an absolutely brilliant bowler who was undetectable. So it's it's put big chunks into both of them. But all things considered, I would have thought that Basil D'Oliveira, probably we, what he could have been, maybe it's unfair to say he could have been Sobers because he certainly wasn't as fast a bowler as Sobers, and I don't think he ever particularly was. But I think he he certainly could have. I suppose they all they both could have been unquestionably all time greats if we'd seen them play a lot more cricket. 
and they'd been able to develop correctly. Um, but it feels like Basil Dolliver is the one that could have been right at the top, whereas maybe Aubrey Faulkner would have been a very, very solid all-rounder that we talk about as, you know, maybe just underneath Imran Khan and um, uh, Garfield Sobers and Jax Callis and maybe Jadeja if he joins that group. Um, and maybe Dolliver, it's hard because he developed so well and he was so good, it's hard to say, well, he'd average an extra 10 in Test Match Cricket if he'd started at a younger age, maybe he gets thrust into the system too young. It's a really interesting question, Ian. Um, I suppose the correct answer here is they both would have been better, um, but whether their records would have looked better with more matches, I don't know. I think I think that's the right answer. Kennedy says, what one player would you pick to make the best entire team uh, by themselves, like 11 copies of Root or Cummins? Will be an all-rounder, Kennedy. Stokes is a really good one. Uh, Jason Holder and Ravi Jadeja. Maybe not quite there, but yeah, I think Stokes is the most logical one. Problem is, if you have 11 Cummins, even though he can hold a bat, can't play spin. So you just played like eight spinners against him, <laughs> you know, and all the Cummins would make like five runs. Um, and Joe Root's bowling, pretty useless unless you're going up against a team of left-handers in the second inning. So you really need an all-rounder in that case. And I would say that Stokes is probably still the best option for that. Obviously, Cameron Green is interested go is interesting going forward. Uh, Ashwin might be another interesting one, perhaps as well, just because his bowling is so dominant and he can, you know, a few Ash Ashwins holding the bat. Although, again, if you get him on a fast wicket or a seeming wicket, he's probably not as good with a bat. Um, but I would probably still go with Stokes, but I'd have Green, Jadeja, maybe I'd have Green Holder on 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 um, standby uh, for this team that we can't make. Although, if we had cloning stuff, I suppose we could. Will says, can you stop how you feel? Because a certain cricket competition keeps telling me otherwise through YouTube ad adverts. I haven't seen these YouTube adverts. Um, so I don't, know, I don't know what that means, but can you stop how you feel? If you're feeling really happy and you pinch yourself really hard, you will stop feeling really happy. So yes. Will also says, Ben Stokes turning England around, England falling apart under Joss Bowler. Are you reconsidering your captaincy? Um, doesn't matter, Tate. <laughs> um, no. Ben Stokes has obviously played a part in, in, in what happened with England, but McCullum probably played a bigger part, and the softballs um, have probably played the biggest part in that. So we're a long way away from knowing that. Um, you know, they've won uh, a few tests on the trot, four tests on the trot. Um, if they win two of the next seven, They'll still be roughly the level that I would have thought they would have been. Um, if South Africa somehow get past them. Um, as far as the Butler thing, I've seen a lot of people kind of talking, not about Butler in general, but about England and their white ball team. I think England will be fine when the World Cups come around. They, they may not win them, but they'll be there and thereabouts as they've been Champions Trophy, World Cup, last two World T20s. Um, I, this is the time you... In some ways, between 2015 and 2017, when England were on a roll, they were trying to build a team. And then maybe between 2017 and 19, they almost needed to experiment more. And they, got, they continued that role. The 2015-2017 role they needed. Afterwards, you need to work out what's going to work in different environments and what's going to work with injuries. And, and I think they might, since 2019, they've been much better at going, okay, okay, like let's, we're going to go to play the Netherlands, we're probably going to win that series. Let's take all of our left-arm bowlers and work out which one's best. Those sorts of things that they're currently doing, I find are more interesting, but it's also meaning they, they should lose more games. Um, and, and I don't think that's a problem at all. Uh, 
I could be wrong, but I just don't think that's a problem at all. You know, as long as they're, pe- you know, getting back to peaking at the right time. And I suppose recent history, you would have to say England have been up for every um, tournament they've been in, except for the World Test Championship. Uh, Will says, if every other Test Second Eleven Development Eleven was named after an animal like the England Lions, what would they be named? I suppose the Australian team would be the emus. What's that stupid crocodile they have in? Is it the agarwal? No. What's the stupid crocodile with the big long snout they have in India? I'll go with that for them. Kudu in South Africa. What was the um, the West Indian one should be? Was it the duckbills? Was that the Antigua duckbills or something like that? So I've given you a few. I feel like I should know a Sri Lankan animal as well. Um, uh, out there. Um, no, nah, I'm out. I'm out. I do know Sri Lankan animals, but for some reason I haven't been able to get that. Sorry, Will. I gave you a couple though. Oh, he's asking another one. Uh, in a wacky sci-fi world where South, South Asian nations agreed to a combined side against the rest of the world, 11 in Abu Dhabi to celebrate their mutual independence, who would you pick from both sides? I mean, that's a huge question. Uh, I can't really answer that for you, Will, off the top of my head, but it's very interesting. I'll try and have a think about it and get back to you if I can. AV says, who are the most underrated batters, bowlers, and all-rounders in world cricket currently? Is Neil Wagner still underrated? I feel like he's no longer underrated. I feel like he's probably correctly rated. Is Simon Harmer underrated outside of county cricket? I don't know. He's a very good player. Maharaj might be out underrated as well. Uh, Karuna Ratney is probably someone that maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves. Who else out there probably plays above there? Uh, oh, Dean Elgar's probably underrated, I would say. Um, I remember having a conversation saying that he's not that far away from being an all-time opener if he plays at the level he's been playing at over the last few years. I think he had a dip long, not long after I said that, but there aren't that many openers who've managed to put together the kind of career of length that Dean Elgar has had, especially since he's opening in South Africa. I suppose Craig Brathwaite is underrated. I mean, his average is still middling, but geez, he's hard to get out, isn't he? I'm trying to think of anyone else out there. Thurunga Lakmal probably was, but is now obviously retired. But yeah, that's maybe... I feel like there should be someone in Pakistan, but I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who's so wildly do they overrate or underrate their players. It's almost hard to get a good grip on them. Um, but yeah, I think I think those are the ones that come to mind um, straight away. Anyway, thank you everyone for those questions. That was great. So that was the Patreon questions. So if anyone has a question in the room, Vamshi, you there? Hey, Jared, how are you doing? I'm really good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. So my question is, um, I uh, I read your article in uh, April 2017 about how to build the ideal T20 side, and uh, you had a bunch of different kinds of players. Has your opinion of that side changed now? Now that five years have passed, I can't even remember what I wrote. If I'm being honest. You had yeah. uh, the hitters from three to seven, and then uh, the slow starting quick scorer, the finisher. Yeah, I think my basic plan would be fairly similar. You still want a player who can play no matter what's happening, if the ball's ragging or if the ball's seeming. Um, I think you want one of those players in your 11. I think you want someone who can knock the lacquer off the ball almost straight away. Then you want a succession of hitters. And if lucky, if you're lucky enough, you probably want one or even two bowlers who can hit sixes, not necessarily be batters, but be able to hit sixes. The only thing I would probably add that probably isn't there is I think it's really important to have a middle-over seam bowler 
because I think what it does is it allows you to move your spin around more tactically. Um, so if you've got two spinners in your lineup, it allows you to use one in the power play if needed and hold one back if there's good matchups if needed. Whereas I think traditionally it was like, you know, over seven to 14 would be for spin. And I think, well, I think the Pakistanis probably always knew that a good seam bowler in the middle was quite handy. But I, I, you know, with Liam Plunkett becoming successful and Pat Cummins, uh, perhaps Lucky Ferguson, I'm trying to think of some of the other countries who do it as well. I think what we've seen is that that, that kind of bowler who bowls in the middle, but bowls wicket-taking deliveries and is a little bit undervalued perhaps from outside is really, really handy going ahead. So uh, that's one position I don't remember writing about. And correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I would have thought in 2017 I wouldn't have wouldn't have had that idea as much. But I think everyone else is pretty, you know, the basic team. The only difference is that there are probably, I probably have now the ability to say there are multiple different ways to, Skin the uh, yeah, so so that was that. I mean, that was the ideal team, but you could have a team where in your top six you have a wicketkeeper and you have two bowlers who can average, let's say, two overs each, perhaps, which would allow you to bowl. You know, at seven, eight, seven, eight, and nine, maybe you might have seven and eight, for instance, you might have all rounders who their bowling isn't there. Maybe they're strong, or their bowling may not be an automatic. Um, selection, but because you've got seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven who can all bowl, and you've got let's say one and two who can bowl, you now have seven bowling options that you can mix and match. So that is another way of going into it that I probably didn't mention. The other one is the sort of it's impossible to do it at a franchise level correctly. We saw Chennai kind of do it, but those kind of endless all rounder uh, lineups, which is a bit like what I'm saying, but more so that. You would bat, you know, um, Jadeja uh, at five, you know, Dhoni at six, Curran at seven, uh, Bravo at eight, those sorts of lineups as well, which is similar to what I was saying, but maybe a slight variation on it, um, is also something else that is uh, that we have seen work. But it's very hard to do that as a franchise because uh, all-rounders usually go for a lot more money. So, you know, you can only afford so many all-rounders in, in any side realistically unless you find a bunch of players who are undervalued. So like when Chennai did with Moen Ali, if you can pick up a couple of players, like Shardul probably was, like Deepak Chahar probably was, you can then build a bit of a all-roundery team. But I don't, really don't think I'd have to go back. I really don't think there have been that many teams of franchise cricket who have ever managed to legitimately have what you would call eight frontline batters and and I'm talking T20 batters more than batter batters, but eight frontline batters and six frontline bowling attacks. Whereas we have seen the West Indies and England do that. I'm trying to think if India have ever done it as well. It's a, probably an easier thing to do if you're an international side, but that's kind of the dream, right? Like if you can have, you know, your top eight all being able to bat, that means your numbers one and two can swing as hard as you want. And then uh, with your bowling, you then have the flexibility to be more tactical with your bowling. So this guy's actually a really good bowler, but, you know, oh, let's, Sam Curran's a really good example of this, or David Willey, of they're really good, but we really only want to use them for three overs. We don't want them to have to bowl that fourth over because that fourth over is going to come when everyone's set or when the ball is old. But if we can get through two or three overs of them in the first eight overs, then 
if, as long as the ball's swinging, we should be okay. Um, and, you know, same with, you know, a lot of players who are called all-rounders in T20 cricket aren't really all-rounders, right? And so, again, what what you want is – so Moen Ali and Ravid Asia at Chennai is a perfect example of a kind of harmony built in. So if if you've got one at one end and one at the other end and you've got one right-hander and one left-hander, you've got one good matchup, one bad matchup all the time, which is kind of neutral, neutral matchups – on the days when there's a team with too many left-handers, you just bowl Moeen Ali more. And on days when there's too many right-handers, you bowl Ravi Dadeja more. What you see when those players are on their own and they don't have that sort of backup to them, they're not as useful, right? So you can make Moeen Ali and, and Jadeja far better um, in those sorts of lineup. That's what you can do if you have the six, six bowlers or seven bowlers is perfect, obviously. Although that confuses captains. Um, but... <laughs> That, that so that kind of lineup can be built in in international cricket. I think is easier than franchise cricket. Although the problem you have with international cricket is, I always go back to the Scotland problem of their two best spinners were both left arm finger spinners. Um, very different kinds of left arm finger spinners, but that's a bit of an issue, especially as you go up to the high levels of cricket and there are more left handers available. Um, that becomes a problem in international cricket where you have role overlap. I don't know if roll overlaps a thing. I might have invented that phrase, um, uh, but but you know what I mean by that. You know, um, you have two players who do this. So I'm trying to think of a situation in an international team that might be like this. Um, How about uh, Pandya and Jadeja? With Pandya and Jadeja becomes a little more effective. Yeah. Oh, here's a perfect one for you. Akshar Patel and Jadeja maybe should both play for India. Wow, I know. If you look at Akshar's batting and his bowling ability and you look at Dadeja's bowling ability and his batting, they actually, their batting matches up quite nice. Dadeja can bat at probably five or six, maybe seven, and Akshar can come in at number eight. But the problem is that the role overlap when they're bowling is how many times are you ever going to get a game where you can bowl eight overs of left-arm finger spin? Right. Whereas if one of them was an off-spinner, they become Moinelli and Ravi Dadeja again. Right, suddenly it's perfect. So Moen Ali and Jadeja work per- even better than uh, in- when it comes to batting because Moen Ali can bat anywhere one to five, right, and and could probably bat eight if they needed him to. Although he's probably too expensive to bat eight, but and then Jadeja can bat five, six, seven, eight um, when when required. They can hold him right back to the end or whatever situation they want. That is a perfect situation where you don't have any role o- overlap. Whereas if you had Akshar and Jadeja in the same team, and you see this, this role overlap is something you see with test teams all the time, where what happens is they end up picking three or four, like they'll, they'll pick like four seamers in a team, but they'll all be new ball seamers. It's like, that new ball doesn't last any longer because you've got new, more new ball bowlers, right? And we, we saw it, New Zealand really have trouble with that this summer in England, especially because it became an old ball summer. And they didn't have an old ball bowler until they brought Wagner in very much, uh, you know, for the last test. And kind of the horse had already bolted. But the problem was all their bowlers wanted the new ball. And so you're now, you've, got, you've moved Jameson to first change, which is fine because he's so good, it doesn't matter, right? But you look at that lineup and you're like, well, how is this going to work? Everyone wants to bowl in the first 25, 30 overs. No one wants to bowl from overs 30 to 60 here. And that's the kind of, that's why first change bowlers are more important I mean, he's a weird hobby horse for me, but that's why first change bowlers are more important than um, opening bowlers. You can find opening bowlers in, in first class cricket right around the world. 
finding a first change bowler is like it's it's really really hard which is why part of the reason that West Indies did so well was the fact that they uh, you know in that first incarnation especially was the fact they had Joel Garner right so and that's why I think Pat Cummins would have a better record if he opened the bowling for Australia but the best thing for Australia is that he never opens the bowling because he's he's probably you know Pat Cummins Mourne Morkel, Joel Garner, Neil Wagner. You're talking about the best first change bowlers in the world that we've ever had, right? And Pat Cummins is probably him and he's probably right up there with Garner um, of being, you know, just an, a next level first change bowler. Um, they're not easy to find. And so that role overlap that I'm talking about becomes a really big thing in T20 cricket where. The, the the worst place in, in T Twenty cricket is when everyone opens the batting, and they all and they all want to open the batting, and it, and there's like so there's a big fight within the change room to see who opens the batting. Then there's a big fight to see who bats at number three, right? And then you've got a guy batting at number four who really should be batting in the top three but isn't. And so when you're putting your team together, you need to understand that. That's probably the, the when you're talking about that article from before of mine. That's probably the thing that I would spend a lot more time on now, is making sure that. You've got fast starters and slow starters. You don't want a team of slow starters. A team of fast starters probably doesn't matter, but a team of slow starters can be a huge problem um, unless they're all incredible players. You want to mix and match of your your skills so that every kind of version of spin and seam bowling can be hit. You don't just want a team that hits right arm seam, uh, which a lot of T20 franchises do around the world. Mo- it's 50% of the... I always, I'm trying to remember if it's Chris Lynn. I think it's no, actually, he might be good against left. There was one particular player I looked at, and their record against right arm seam was something like an average of 45 and a strike rate of 160. And their average against everyone else was like 22 um, and a strike rate of 120. Mm. And there are a lot of players out there, especially a lot of the guys that come out of England are a bit like this. They can stand in place, and because they, they're brought up on bowling machines and throwdowns, and they will just absolutely paying you everywhere and then uh you slow the ball down or use the other arm um and suddenly they just don't have the same skill uh skills available all those sorts of things i probably a lot i know a lot more about now than i did in 2017 uh you did actually have the lane blanket thing you did want a quicker bowler who you could use between 6 and 12 someone who's economy i was ahead of my own time man I wouldn't have thought that would have been. I wonder why. Did I mention Plunkett in it? Yep, you had Plunkett, Tamal Mills. Okay. Um, yeah, actually, no, you're right. I would have. Yeah, no, it would have been around that time that maybe I came up with that. Yeah, I, uh, Hassan Ali did it in the Champions Trophy. Obviously, wasn't Akram used to do it, right? I mean, we. It's a newer position, but Pakistan were maybe one of the few teams that worked it out. They did it partially because of reverse swing, but they also did it because they realised that you can get in a rhythm against spinners, you know, and then. The Liam Plunkett development, of course, is having the four fielders out means that spinners can get hit a little bit more in the, uh, towards the back end between the you know the thirtieth and the fortieth over, and so that's really where you need that that uh, you you need the seamer um, available to you. Anyway, man, thank you very much for your question. Thanks, Joe. Anyone else wants to come uh, and do a request? I've probably got time for one or two more. Uh, but Siddhartha says. What would do better, a cricketer in baseball or a baseballer in cricket? It's a really interesting question. Uh, well, it's harder to hit a baseball 
than it is to hit a cricket ball. So there's no doubt that the, the specialized skill of a batter in baseball is probably a little bit more full on. But if you're only trying to hit everything over deep in wicket and you're not particularly used to bounce, I'm not sure how that lines up. I think a baseballer in cricket is far more likely to hit the ball than a cricketer is in baseball. But I don't necessarily mean that. think that means over a long period of time the baseballer would be more successful because I'm not sure it's easy to go from full tosses to bouncing balls where it might, whereas at cricket we do have full tosses and that is also part of the game. So that's the batting. The pitching and bowling is probably slightly two different kinds of athletes, I would think. I know we have a lot of bowlers with good arms. We have a lot of batters with good arms as well. Um, I mean, Benny Howell is a perfect example. He's a batter with a good arm who was a baseball pitcher who became a slow-medium bowler. Uh, so I think in that particular case, I'm not sure that that goes over. One thing I would say, it was funny, I was, I was talking to um, some um, cricket uh, people today and I was saying that I think bowlers are better at being able to switch between a multitude of deliveries than baseball pitches are. Baseball pitches usually have, you know, one, two, three, four. Whereas if you think about it, if you're a seam bowler and you bowl red and white ball cricket, you probably need five deliveries almost automatically. Um, so maybe there's a slightly extra, there's more things you can do with the ball in cricket. So there's that, but I don't know if it like a pitcher comes over. I would think that in the outfield, I wonder if cricket would be better suited to come up with catches behind the plate. And if baseball would be better, um, to have outfielders. I mean, I think baseball, I think it's pretty widely thought that baseball fielders are better in the outfield, but I should say we don't recruit cricketers based on their skill in the outfield whereas baseball does so it actually makes sense that baseballers are better in the outfield not just that their skills and training and the glove all all make a difference there uh, but really interesting question Vamshi's going to finish up all right last one Vamshi what have you got for me man so this was uh, more in terms of the fifth test between England and India and also the series before that that was played last year so my friends think that Ashwin would have been a better pick. And I think that India were better to go with a faster bowler because uh, after the new ball bowlers are done, you're essentially bowling with a spinner in the 13th or 14th over, which I think would be disadvantages. What is your take on that? No, because they would have three seamers, wouldn't they? Still? Still, but uh, once the third... Well, you wouldn't be bowling your spinner in the 13th over if you've got three seamers. You'd at least get through to the 22nd over before they'd need any sort of a break. I think that Jadeja is a wonderful bowler, but I don't think he's a particularly good first innings bowler. And I think he needs the conditions to help keep pressure on. I think he can defend a little bit on flat pitches and, and that can sometimes be beneficial. Whereas I think Ashwin scares the shit out of England. Um, I think he will always keep the pressure on almost any batter in the world, especially left-handers. I think when that ball got soft and... We know England were going to attack. I'd love to see them try and pull that off against Ashwin if there was any help in the surface. I've been saying for a long time, India have the ideal bowling attack and they don't use it, which is Jadeja, Ashwin, and you know, pick your three seamers, you know, Boomerah, Shami, and uh, whoever else is in form on that day. That for me is an ideal. Also, Ashwin is a better bat than Shardul. Uh, you know, I, I see all the Lord Shardul stuff seems to have died down. Now they can't make runs anymore. 
his batting average in test cricket is quickly dipping to where it is in first-class cricket, right? Now, I still think he can average a little bit more in test cricket than he does in first-class cricket, but is he a better bat than Ashwin? I don't think so. Certainly don't think he would be able to give you it. I think he, you know, I've started calling these sorts of guys, him, him and, I mean, he's a better bat than Broad, but him and someone like Broad, Mitchell Stark might even be there. They're kind of chaos hitters. And, and they can really... put that on your thing with uh, Neil Mantrop. I put that there, did I? Yeah. Yeah, that sort of, and so I can see that Shardul has some benefit there, but Ashwin's just a better bat than him. Um, and it's far more likely to give you consistent runs. And also, he's batting at number eight, far more likely to back up Jadeja or Rishabh Pant or whoever's batting with him. And so... They were really quick to move away from it after the World Test Championship finals, where it didn't seem to work. I think they've always moved away from Ashwin, away from home. I don't really understand it because... Jadeja is the far worse bowler away from home. And I get that you have to fit Jadeja in now because of his all-round skills. I don't know. I just think three seamers is still a lot of seamers. For some reason, we've convinced us. Australia went generations with only three seamers, right? It, you know, even England have gone generations with only three seamers. New Zealand have gone generations with only three seamers. Like, you're lucky if you could fit a fourth seamer in. And if you're telling me that the player you're going to drop is the world's best spinner who can also bat, who is going to be a challenge from the first innings to the fourth innings, and at the very least is going to keep, you know, in the way that Rangana Haraf did for Sri Lanka, he may not have always got wickets away from home. You couldn't just run down and smack him, right? And you couldn't milk him the way that you milk Jadeja. Why would you not want that flexibility in your side? So... Look, you're right. I think they tried it in the World Test Championship and they haven't felt comfortable with it ever since. Uh, Shardle's got a really good record. I don't think he's got that many wickets, though, does he? Has he got 25 wickets? In He has. I think he has a couple of six-wicket hauls, one in South Africa and another one in England, I think. Yeah. So he's got a lot of wickets in a couple of games and he's got a really good bowling average at the moment, but he has a lot of flaws within his bowling as well. Definitely, yeah. That he's never... I would never feel that comfortable. Put it this way. Go back and watch that fifth test. There was a lot of times as someone who was commentating, it felt like they were basically down to two bowlers and Jadeja as a spoiler, right? Siraj wasn't in form, right? And that can happen. And I still think he's a fantastic bowler, but he hasn't looked good for a little while. Bowled very poorly in the IPL as well. Shardul couldn't keep any pressure on. Um, and, you know, he got that Ben Stokes wicket um, largely because England thought he was a joke. Now, maybe that works, but in long term, that's probably not going to work. If you take him out and you put Ashwin in, you've now got Jadeja as the spoiler, you've got Boomer and Shami bowling incredible spells, and you've got Ashwin toiling away at the other end. That's a comp- and, and Siraj doesn't come off. That's a completely different bowling lineup for me. Completely different bowling lineup. And, you know, I would best those a great player of offspin, and then there's Ashwin, right? So I personally, if I was running Indian cricket, that's where I would be going. They don't seem to see it the same way that I see it. Um, but if you go back, mate, and read me in 2012, I was saying the same thing. Ashwin got dropped after playing in Australia where I thought he bowled magnificently, right? I thought he was outstanding at Australia, but he didn't end up with a low bowling average and they barely used him overseas for, what, three, four, five years after that, right? Yeah based on the fact that he didn't take wickets in Australia, and I think there might have been another test he played in South Africa. So two places where fingerspin traditionally hadn't ever worked, um, he didn't go particularly well in. And they sort of, 
for me, they gave up the ability to develop him, right? Because he should be a better bowler. I know this sounds weird. He should be an even better bowler now because he should have spent the last five, well, he should have spent the last 10 years bowling overseas more and they haven't always used him in those conditions. Obviously in Asia, it's a no-brainer, but we see the way he bowls outside of Asia now. He could have done that five years ago if he'd had that experience. He's a fast learner and he's a, I think we don't talk about this enough. He's an incredibly competitive person, right? I don't know if I've ever told this story. I've been saving it. To, uh, um, I don't know if I've ever said this publicly, but I've been saving it um, in case I ever get him on my podcast. I will get him on my podcast. But wow, I once, I once swam in a swimming pool with R. Ashwin, right? We were both much younger. It was 2009, I think, in Sri Lanka and a tri-series with them in New Zealand. And we were all in the same um, complex and I was staying there as well. And I was actually there on holiday randomly. And it happened to be that all these cricket teams were in ruining my holiday. But he was in the same swimming pool as me and I was doing laps. And he started, it was quite clear he was trying to compete with me in laps. <laughs> and I used to be a lifeguard, you know, or sorry, I, should say, I was trained to be a lifeguard. So I'm quite a strong swimmer. So I was holding him off. And then after a while, I like, you know, I did butterfly because I thought there's no way he's going to be able to, there's no way he's going to be able to do butterfly. Um, only Australians uh, and about seven Americans ever seem to be able to do butterfly. And it's probably the last time I ever did butterfly. Uh, my shoulders haven't been the same since, but he didn't know who I was. I was just a guy in the pool, but I could feel that he was competitive there. That's another thing. I'm not saying the other cricketers aren't competitive, but that's a really important thing for a spinner away from home right? Away from Asia, let's say. Oh no, away from home. I, 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 will, I will keep that. In conditions that don't favor you, that, real, that Shane Warne edge, that Graham Swan edge, you know, that even, or Kumble, right? Those sorts of people where there's just like, no, you might, you might not go out to me, but you're not going to get on top of me. That's a really, really important thing. And if you look at some of the spinners, you look at someone like Jack Leach, he doesn't have that, right? Uh, I think his bowling's improved of recent times, but he doesn't have that edge, that compet that uber competitive nature to make sure that he's always in the contest. And I think that was pretty evident with Ash really early on in his career. And I would have nourished that as much as possible, especially be because you and I probably know he's not a number seven away from India, but he's a really good number eight away from India. And so you could, you could stack your batting lineup and even have slightly more experimental batting lineups ahead of him, knowing that you have a really strong number eight, knowing that he's never, teams are never going to get on top of him. And I think they probably missed a trick with that. And now they've got so many bowling options, right, that they're almost, and they're obsessed with seam at the moment, like they just are, um, that they're almost not using him in the way that I think they probably should. Right. Anyway, mate, thank you very much for your question. That was a great story, Jared. Thank you. No worries. I, I don't know. Maybe I have told that. There'll be, always be someone in the comments or on Twitter who'll say, Jared, you've told that story before. I don't think I've ever told it on one of my podcasts, but I can't wait to um, get him on a podcast once. And he, there's no way he'll remember it. But like, I've got lots of details that, that, that I didn't do in that one. But um, thanks for your question, Vamshi. Thanks uh, to you, Siddharth, as well. And thanks to everyone on Patreon. Great questions again, as always. And I will see you all next week. Have a good one.
Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel on the 99.94 Network. For more information about us, go to 9994dm.com and you can also sign up for our beta launch. And if you have listened this long, you probably like what we do, and that is great. So please rush over and support us on Patreon, which has many extra advantages the podcast doesn't have, like asking earlier questions. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you, because we have a lot of things. You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimball. Nick McCorriston is our sound maestro. Bakundra Bandredi presses record on the videos and then falls asleep. Orajasi Sampati makes the podcast into video gold. And Shubanka Bhattacharya makes pretty, pretty graphics. Oh, 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 oh